Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to Somewhere in the Skies. I'm your host, Ryan Sprague. Today's episode is also sponsored by my guest, Rob Christofferson. Rob's level of Patreon contribution landed him a guest spot on this week's show, and I know you're going to love this one. If you'd like to come on the show as a guest or a co-host, this reward is among many others being offered right now at the official Somewhere in the Skies Patreon campaign. While the podcast is always free to consume, it's not free to create. So to help offset personal costs and to help the show grow, both in quality and quantity, I've created this campaign where you can truly be a part of it all. Bonus episodes, videos, one-on-one discussions, and much, much more awaits you by becoming a Patreon subscriber today. To learn more and to become a patron, visit patreon.com backslash somewhere skies. Thank you so much. And now, on to this week's show. This is Somewhere in the Skies with Ryan Sprague. Venus was at its peak brilliance last night. You probably thought you saw something up in the sky other than Venus. But I assure you, it was Venus. I know. What I saw. Your scientists have yet to discover how neural networks create self-consciousness, let alone how the human brain processes two-dimensional retinal images into the three-dimensional phenomenon known as perception. Yet you somehow brazenly declare seeing is believing your scientific illiteracy makes me shudder and i wouldn't flaunt your ignorance by telling anyone that you saw anything last night other than the planet venus because if you do you're a dead man you can't threaten me i just did Ah, that song brings back some late 90s memories, doesn't it? I remember when this movie came out in theaters a mere two years after my personal UFO sighting. I distinctly remember surfing the early internet message boards where I heard tales of strange men approaching UFO witnesses and threatening them to keep their mouths shut about what they saw. This terrified me as I became paranoid that I was the next on a long, long list of witnesses that they'd eventually get to. But then the Men in Black movie came out and shed a rather comedic and science fictional approach to the Men in Black. But the more I began to research what inspired this Hollywood franchise, I began to realize that this was no laughing matter. And it all began on Maury Island in the summer of 1947. It was late morning when a man named Harold Dahl was out on his boat with his son Christopher and their dog and two other workers. Harold collected logs floating in the sound and resold them to lumber mills. Harold looked in the sky and saw six objects floating about 2,000 feet above his ship. The objects were made of some reflective metal, donut-shaped, and about 100 feet in diameter. The center holes were about 25 feet in diameter as well. Harold said he also saw round portholes in what he thought was an observation window. Five of the craft circled over the sixth, which stopped slowly. It hovered about 500 feet above the water. Harold put to shore because he was afraid the center aircraft was going to crash into his boat. 
Once ashore, he took several pictures with his camera. The lower ship stayed in position for about five minutes, with the others still circling above. One of the ships left the formation and moved down, touching the lower ships. Suddenly, thousands of pieces of what he thought were newspapers dropped from the inside of the center ship. Most of the debris landed in the bay, though some of it hit the beach. Harold recovered a few pieces, finding it was white, lightweight, and metal. Along with the white metal, the ship dropped about 20 tons of dark metal, which he said looked like lava rock. When the lava rock hit the water, it was so hot that steam erupted. The men in the boat took cover after several pieces landed on the boat, damaging it. Some debris hit his son in the arm, burning him, and another piece killed Harold's dog. After the rain of metal, the craft rose into the air and headed west out to sea, disappearing out of sight. Soon, Harold buried the dog at sea, took his son to the hospital for treatment for his burns, and reported what had happened to local authorities and to his boss at work. The next morning would perhaps bring about one of the very first ever reported encounters with the men in black. Just as Harold awoke, a man arrived at his front door. He was dressed in a perfectly pressed black suit and hat. He suggested that they go to breakfast together and that he wanted to hear all about what had happened the day prior. Harold drove his own car following the stranger's new black Buick to a restaurant. While they ate, the stranger asked no questions, but instead told Harold in great detail about what had happened to Harold the day prior, as if he were there with him that day. This startled Harold, and soon the man in black warned him that bad things would happen to he and his family if he told anyone what had happened. Days later, several investigators came to question Harold. He ignored the threats of the man in black and told them what had happened. These investigators were on a classified mission to see Harold and to gather evidence. Harold was able to give them some of the metal that had crashed on his boat. Upon the investigators' return to a California airbase, the B-25 they were piloting crashed, killing both of them and destroying whatever evidence they were carrying. The FBI closed the case without any resolution. After the Maury Island incident, many others began to come forward to claim visitation by similar men dressed in black suits. These men would cryptically converse with a UFO witness and end with threats to remain silent about what they'd seen. These encounters were often brief and sometimes very bizarre. But who and what are these men in black? And what could their end game be in perhaps one of the greatest and longest cover-ups of all time? Today, I speak to Rob Christofferson. Rob is the host of the Our Strange Skies podcast and has been an amateur UFO researcher and investigator for nearly 10 years. He's been a lifelong resident of the Adirondacks and has had an interest in the paranormal from a very early age. Today, Rob and I dive deep into some of the strangest Men in Black encounters that he's come across in his research, and how Men in Black have morphed and evolved as the ever-increasingly elusive UFO phenomenon seems to be doing as well. So, without further ado, here's my conversation with Rob Christofferson. So today, guys, I have decided that I wanted to hear from one of my favorite and most loyal listeners, and that is Rob Christofferson. We'd been discussing what we really wanted to talk about, what, what we haven't covered on Somewhere in the Skies yet, and we decided on Men in Black. Now, this is a topic that I have found very fascinating for many years, but one that I haven't really looked into as much as I can uh, fully admit as a UFO researcher. So, who better than the guy who I know does his thorough research, is starting a podcast of his own soon, and has all of the amazing cases of Men in Black, the actual real cases of Men in Black, unlike the Hollywood version, to bring to you today. So, Rob, thank you so much for joining me on Somewhere in the skies thanks for having me on man i'm so excited for this 
yeah, we, we've been trying to make it work for a while now, but uh, the powers that be, the MIBs, have made that a uh, little difficult. But we are going to make it happen today, my man. Dang right. <laughs> if if this airs and no one hears from either of us again, they'll know why. Yeah. Uh, and, and remember us. Get our names out there. <laughs> we will become figureheads for this movement. Yes, we will. <laughs> remember me. <laughs> <laughs> All right, man. So in, in my intro for this week's episode, I spoke about... About the 1947 Harold Dahl incident, Maury Island, which a lot of us in the UFO community are familiar with. And in some ways, it's arguably it kicked off this whole men in black phenomenon, but there've been many other encounters with them. And I wanted to talk to you today about some of the most popular and uh, also some of the most bizarre cases of men in black. And one of those I found, and I know you are aware of, was that of Albert K. Bender in 1955. So to really go out of the gate running strong, my man, could you could you sort of run us through your knowledge of the Bender case? Sure. Um, Albert Bender, a uh, young guy from Bridgeport, Connecticut, he became obsessed with the occult and the paranormal through uh, Flight 19, the disappearance of Flight 19. And uh, from there, it just kickstarted this this drive to you know learn more and more and more about the paranormal. He also <laughs> he had. He had an, uh, an affinity for like scary movies and stuff like that, and he would eventually turn uh, – because he lived with his stepfather in the, in the attic. He turned his uh, bedroom eventually into this like house of horrors kind of uh, room where he would freak out his friends and stuff like that. But uh, yeah, in the late 40s, he, he's all obsessed with the, the paranormal. And then when we get to the 50s, he starts to change a little bit and he starts to focus on, you know, flying saucers as they were known at that point. Mm -hmm. And um, in uh, April 1952, he creates the International Flying Saucer Bureau. And he uh, publishes like a, a, a monthly magazine called Space Review. And uh, the group really takes off. And for a few months, it's just it's just going steady. And then uh, in, in July of 52, he gets a phone call and nobody's on the other uh, other end of the line. Mm. But he, he gets the sense that uh, somebody is actually on the other end of the line. And, you know, he's a little paranoid about this, a little freaked out. And all of a sudden he becomes disoriented and his head is just like spinning and everything. And, you know, he hangs up the phone and just immediately goes to bed. And um, days later, he decides he's going to go to the movies and goes to the movies. And this feeling comes back over him. And he also gets the sense that he's being watched, that somebody is following him around. And he leaves the movie theater, he goes home, and he goes up to his – because he lives in the attic in this room of horrors that he's built. And he sees a light underneath the door, and, and he opens it up, and he sees this bright, just bright light in his room, and he smells sulfur. And he can also notice because he has he, – he's kind of like OCD-oriented. He definitely has the uh, characteristics of OCD. He can note he notices that like the files that he had started to uh, collect through the International Flying Saucer Bureau, they're all rifled through and everything like that. So, you know, he gets this, the impression that somebody's going through his files and right. stuff like that. So um, the, the light eventually goes out and, you know, he's just like he's a little freaked out and stuff like that. But uh, he doesn't think anything of it. And then uh, November comes around and he's back at that same movie theater. And the same intense feeling that comes over him again in his head and everything like that. And he looks next to him and a man just suddenly materializes in a seat like right next to him. Oh, my God. And a typical kind of men in black kind of outfit. He's got the black suit on, white shirt, all that stuff. The really freaky thing about him, though, is that his eyes are like the best way to describe them, because he said they were emitting light is uh, you've seen Ghostbusters, too, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, you remember when uh, Janos is that one scene with Janos in that uh, in that hallway after he goes and checks on mm -hmm. Dana and mm -hmm. his eyes just glow like flashlights. That is the that's the way that uh, he describes it. So, uh, yeah, he gets freaked out and eventually he, he just closes his eyes, tries to put it out of his head, opens him up. Guy's not there anymore. 
So he just keeps watching the movie. And, uh... Ooh, I can't believe he just kept watching the movie. <laughs> yeah, and but then the same feeling comes over him again, and he turns around and he sees the guy there, and then he just books it right out of the theater. Okay, okay, I'm, I'm glad. I was going to say. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and eventually, after uh, more repeat visits, he he basically shuts down the IFSB, stops putting out space review, and, and, and sends a letter out in the last issue telling people to be careful. And it's it, it was... Uh, maybe a, a few years after that, because nobody really knew why he had shut it down and everything like that. And then uh, Gray Barker comes out with his book. They knew too much about flying saucers. And uh, Gray Barker was uh, an investigator with the IFSB. And uh, he publishes this book, which it delves into kind of the men in black phenomenon a little bit. And the and the key story in that is Albert Bender's story. And he comes out saying that there were these three guys that appeared in his bedroom and told him to stop talking about it. So that's the story for for a long time. And then uh, about six years after uh, Barker publishes that book, he uh, Albert Bender comes out with his own book called uh, Flying Saucers and Three Men. And he tells his story and says that these three men did appear to him in his bedroom and they weren't your typical like men in black as we think of them today. He said that their outfits made them seem more like priests almost mm. like they were wearing clerical collars and stuff like that and they transported him to the antarctic <laughs> okay all right we really are starting with the most uh interesting one here yeah so oh yeah all right so oh. bender is in the antarctic got it yes and the and these aliens they're aliens they're not people. Okay. They're not men. They are aliens. They take him and they have this operation underground and they're basically using salt water as fuel for their spaceships. Okay. And uh, they basically tell Bender, you know, you're getting too close to this. You need to stop talking about it or we're going to, you know, take care of you. They did not speak, but I could understand the message they were conveying to me. It definitely was telepathic. And here's the message. You have dedicated yourself to the solution of the strange problem of unidentified objects in your atmosphere. Your interest is deep and sincere, and you have devoted many hours to it. We also know that such interest and determination might lead to something that could bring you harm. We feel that you are a very good contact for us on your planet Earth. You are an average person. And we know that what we tell you and show you will not be believed by anyone you might tell. You are not a person of great renown on your planet, therefore we have nothing to fear at present. We have a purpose for being here, and we will be here for some time yet. We must not be disturbed in our ultimate goal. So that was that. And to make the matter even stranger, the appearance of these of these men in black, their real true appearance, he said they look like exactly like the Flatwoods monster. OK. All right. And uh, we did have a bonus episode of Somewhere in the Skies where we covered that case extensively. I'm sure you heard that one. Uh, mm -hmm. That's very, very interesting. Yeah, I can imagine those those big glowing eyes um, being a big part of this. Now, I have to ask, what do you make of all this with Bender? I, being one of the, uh, you know, besides Maury Island and a few others, this is one of the bigger Men in Black cases that we really start with. And this is the mid-50s. So, you know, getting transported to the Antarctic. Uh, we've got the Flatwoods monster involved. What do you, what do you make of Bender? What, what are your thoughts on all this? Bender is an interesting character because he, he definitely had mental issues. He had mental disorders, you know, that uh, uh, Nick Redfern points to in his book, The Real Men in Black, where he had, he was definitely had OCD of, uh, of a certain type. He was also a hypochondriac. He was, he had a deathly, a deathly fear of contracting cancer. Mm -hmm. So what I believe is that what he ran afoul of was actually the FBI, because back in the early fifties, the FBI were looking into, uh, these types of UFO groups that keep popping up and all these civilian UFO groups. And they see them as almost a way for, uh, like communists to infiltrate. And like they, you know, they uh, the FBI was thinking at the time that they could fake 
a like you a, a massive UFO event and and then launch an attack. Interesting. Okay. Now, <laughs> yeah. now that's interesting because for any of our listeners who follow the work of Stephen Greer, uh, I personally am not one of them, but we won't go there. <laughs> uh, that is his big his big thing right now with his unacknowledged film, which went completely mainstream. It was one of the top documentaries. 2017, I believe. And he has this idea that even today that the the military wants to stage an alien invasion to see how we would react and to use their their militant power. So that's that's pretty fascinating, in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah. And um, uh, to drive the point a little little further home, uh, Gray Barker also received a visit from the FBI a couple months before they shut down the IFSB because he had been given um, cards to give out to people. It said, you know, Gray Barker, uh, investigator with the IFSB, and this, these bogus, well, they weren't bogus, but these FBI agents show up at his door claiming that they got this card from some guy who had had a seizure in Florida and was in this hospital. And they, you know, wanted to know more about what the IFSB was doing and all that kind of stuff. So uh, definitely seems to be more leaning towards the official, you know, like an official body trying to intervene here and i wouldn't put it past bender to kind of stretch the truth like a lot so <laughs> so it, it, it would kind of make sense you know yeah yeah i, I completely get that well i mean let, all right let's move on rob uh, this is this is a bizarre <laughs> case we could definitely hash this one out forever but uh one of the more interesting ones that i really took to and found some some credence and credibility with was in 1967 this was a case that you brought to my attention that i'd never heard of when someone who was not involved directly with ufo research kind of had it fall into his lap or onto his car i guess it's a better way of putting it and that's when things really got strange this is the case of robert richardson so you got to tell us about this one so yeah back in uh 67 robert richardson he's uh driving near white house ohio and he's driving with his friend jerry quay and they round a bend and uh when they turn around this bend they they can see an object a bright object in the road and he's coming up on it quick and he just he basically just shuts his eyes and he tries to you know slam on the brakes but he still ends up hitting this thing and whatever it is disappears instantly once uh once he hits it and uh richardson's kind of freaked out about it he he gets the police out there police can't find anything other than like skid marks his own skid marks from the car but the next day uh, Richardson's looking at his car and he he finds a piece of metal that uh, that he thinks came off this thing and he also notices that the chrome from his front bumper is kind of stripped off a little bit so he sends a telegram to Coral Lorenzen and he sends uh, this all this uh, stuff to Apro uh, the, the metal and like parts of his, uh, I think he sends part of the bumper too, just to, to have it analyzed. Mm -hmm. And a few days later, three days later, he receives a visit from two guys. Uh, they're driving a 1953 mint Cadillac. There we go. Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> and they have a strange plate on it and he eventually checks the plate and the plate doesn't, it's never been issued, but, uh, they just have a friendly chat about, uh, you know, UFOs and stuff like that. And they don't say anything else. They just show up for like 10 minutes, talk and then leave. And then about a week later, there's, uh, two different men. Uh, they're they're darker complected. He, he describes Richardson describes them as looking almost foreign and they show up and they and they in no uncertain terms. And, and, and they're even in a different car. It's a 1967 Dodge sedan. And uh, they show up looking for the piece of metal. And and Richardson says, hey, I, I gave this piece of metal to APRO. And and the guys in no uncertain terms say, if you want your wife to stay as pretty as she is, you'd better get that medal back. <laughs> Whoa, easy. <laughs> and the thing is, is Richardson claims that the only people he discussed the medal with were Coral Lorenzen, Nils Paquette, who was a, an APRO researcher, and his wife. That was it. So they, they got wind of this somehow. So it makes you wonder, well, who was into craft? How <laughs> this yeah. craft and uh, how how'd they know? So <laughs> Yeah, and you know, here we have a case where there's trace evidence and presumably metal from a craft and 
Where is it now, Rob? That's what I'm wondering. Like, who, um, who's in possession was, of it? It was examined. Uh, it was examined by uh, a man named Roy Craig of the Colorado University Project. Mm-hmm. And uh, he tested the metal and the bumper. And he found that uh, the metal piece didn't have any... Uh, it, it wasn't made up of anything exotic or anything like that. It was made up of iron and chromium and uh, with trace elements of nickel and uh, manganese. But okay. uh, he found that the bumper, uh, where this chrome was stripped away, was 90, 92% magnesium. Mm. So it was, it was unusual, but uh, they don't determine that it's anything really incredibly out of the ordinary. Right. You know, we might not be looking at something extraterrestrial, but again, like, who's to say that some of these men in black aren't working for our own government and this wasn't some top secret military project? You know, we run into that time and time again. But, uh, wow, that's, that's a fascinating case. What a, what a mean thing to say if you want your wife to not be as pretty. I, I just can't imagine. That's, that's the threat they came up with. Yeah, yeah pretty much, you know. It's like, uh, dang. You know, right. can't we just talk about this? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let, 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 let's hash this out over some beers, guys. <laughs> yeah, nothing too serious. Come on. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, this next one, Rob, that you brought to my attention, uh, this is a two-parter. So we, we'll take our time with this one because we have, we have two aspects of this by a gentleman named Herbert Hopkins. And the first half of the story is a case that Hopkins was personally investigating, one that you've been digging deep into recently, and then his encounter with Men in Black being the second half. So let's start with the first act, you know, the first act of the play before we get to the intermission. Uh, What was this case in 76 that Hopkins was researching? And then ultimately we'll, uh, we'll get to how the MIB got involved. Yeah, so uh, Hopkins was asked to uh, take part in the investigation of the uh, abduction of a man named David Stevens. Uh, He was a 22-year-old guy who had recently been discharged from the Navy, and he shared a he shared a trailer with this guy named Glenn Gray. They had, they had just met like maybe weeks before this incident happened, and they were both worked in the same factory, worked worked the same shift and everything. And uh, they, it was their day off, and they were they were staying up extra late because they worked the night shift, so they wanted to sleep in the morning to stay with their sleep schedule. So they decided to go for a drive, and they were going to drive past Stephen's parents' place, which was like miles down the road and stuff like that, and head towards this lake, and almost. Almost nearly uh, after they leave their driveway, he does. He claims he doesn't have control of the vehicle. That something else has control of the vehicle. It's two thirty in the morning. They cover about eight miles in two to three minutes, and he claims that you know this is a really bumpy road, and they didn't feel it didn't feel bumpy at all. The ride didn't feel bumpy. He was he felt like they were almost gliding, like the vehicle was off the ground a little bit and they come up to this bend they round this bend and that seems to be a theme with this kind of stuff you round a bend and they see these lights in a field then all of a sudden they shoot up and and this craft lifts into the air and they they describe this craft as being as big as a football field So and and cigar shaped. It made no noise. They rolled down their window just to see if they could hear it and, and everything. And they uh, they get freaked out. They they drive off. This craft stays with them uh, for a certain period of time, flying overhead. And then at a certain point, it hits them with a beam of light. It moves the car to the other side of the road into the left hand lane. And that's when they the both men just black out. And at that point, David Stevens remembers he's on board whatever craft this is. He's looking down at his vehicle. He can see it. And he can see uh, Glenn in the driver's side, still down there in like some kind of suspended animation of some kind. And this being comes into the room and it is the craziest uh, and and we talk about grays and stuff like that, and mm-hmm. descriptions of grays. This even goes a little bit beyond that. Yeah, you were showing me these images. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync... 
things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Just last night we were talking and, uh, yeah, yeah, give us a little description of what these were. These are, these are beings that I have never encountered in all of my abduction research. Yeah, me either. Uh, they were about four and a half feet tall. It had a, he said the head was shaped like a mushroom. It had slanted eyes like a gray. Mm-hmm. Two two dots for a nose, no facial hair, pale complected. It had three fingers and a thumb, but the fingers were webbed, which was really weird. They wore like a robe. He he described what they were wearing as like a paper thin robe that went down to pretty close to their feet. And he also described them as wearing like paper thin shoes at the same time. And this being comes in, it 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 speaks to him telepathically and says, you know, don't be afraid. We're not going to hurt you. And he and he gets him to come into this next room. And there's four more beings like this in the room. And they put him on a table. And it's it's not exactly like your typical abduction experience. He they take he what he describes as two pricks of blood. And at that point, they want him to undress and. He doesn't want anything to do with it. And he ends up hitting one of them in the head. (laughs) Okay. It doesn't react. It just reassures him, hey, we're not going to hurt you. We promise all this good stuff. And, you know, it calms him down. They help him out of his clothes. He lays down on this table and they run this like x-ray machine all over his body. They take uh, fingernail samples and hair samples, gather it up. He puts his clothes back on and they, they put him back in his in the vehicle and, you know, they're ready to drive off. The, the craft pursues them even after this for a few more miles. And when all is said and done, when they finally make it to David Stevens' parents' house, it's seven o'clock in the morning. So five and a half hours have gone by. Okay, there's our missing time. Yep. Wow. Can't go wrong with some missing time. <laughs> wow, man. That's oof. That is a pretty bizarre abduction case, I must say, especially how detailed it was with what they were doing to him. You know, often, you know, when we hear these hypnotic regressions, it, it, it can be pretty typical um, sometimes, but this one was so detailed. So, okay, so we have this abduction case. Now, how did Herbert Hopkins get involved with this one? This case was investigated by at least three independent uh, investigators with different groups. Uh, the first one was Brent Rains. He came, he was an, an investigator with QFOS at the time. He comes in, he does the initial investigation. He gets a woman by the name of Shirley Pickett. Uh, she's with a group called the International UFO, UFO Bureau. And through her, she uh, she knows Dr. Herbert Hopkins. Herbert Hopkins is essentially, he's a family physician, but he also does hypnosis. He does hypnosis to, uh, he uses it primarily uh, during pregnancy to help manage pain. But also he uses, he, he came to use it for people who have addictions to help help them combat that and stuff like that. And so she brings Herbert Hopkins in. Herbert Hopkins, over the course of about a year, does these hypnotic regressions on David Stevens. Uh, Glenn Gray, poor Glenn Gray, he he flees to Oklahoma. One, he doesn't want anything to do with it. Right. Two, even his parents don't believe him, the poor guy. So he takes off for Oklahoma to go live with his – he had family out that way. Mm-hmm. So they bring in Herbert Hopkins. He he uncovers all of this information. 
And about a year later, almost a year later, on September 11th, 1976, 8 p.m., Saturday night, Herbert Hopkins gets a call on the phone from a man claiming to be from the New Jersey UFO Research Organization, which later on he checks into and does not exist. Okay. And he wants to talk about the David Stevens case. He also asks him if he is alone, which is a red flag right there. <laughs> if someone's asking you if you're alone, I don't I, no, just no, do There's it. plenty of. <laughs> don't say yes, for the love of God. Yeah, yeah, just don't do it. And, you know, asks him if he could stop by. So he and this is completely uncharacteristic for Dr. Hopkins. He says, yeah, sure. Come on over. So. From the time that he hangs up to the phone to the time that he goes to turn on his front porch light, there is a man that starts coming up the porch stairs before he's even made it. So he turns on the light and he sees this guy. He's already coming up his porch stairs. Yeah, that's not freaky at all. (laughs) So he, uh, you know, he lets the guy in. And uh, the um, the description of this man is so chilling he's he's about five foot eight 140 pounds he's wearing you know the typical men of black clothing the and he's got a black derby on he uh, dr hopkins makes uh painful details about the man's clothes like they were <laughs> ill-fitting but like they did not have a wrinkle and they didn't wrinkle like when he sat down the creases were perfect every time but uh he was hairless. He had a he had a small he had small nose and ears. Very pale. He had very red lips and just had really odd mannerisms. <laughs> and he inquired about the 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 Stevens case in, in an expressionless, dull tone. And he didn't use complete sentences. He just used like random words and phrases. Like this is a guy that would have been obsessed with the M dash, you know, all yeah. day long. Yeah. <laughs> so after Dr. Hopkins tells him about this. The uh, man in black says, yeah, that's just what I thought. And and then at this point, he wipes his mouth and <laughs> he, Hopkins notices that uh, the, the that he's definitely wearing red lipstick because it's smeared on his glove. Okay. He's wearing uh, some uh, uh, gray gloves. And uh, he tells Herbert Hopkins that he has two coins in his pocket. And he says, take one of them out. That's not freaky at all. Guy okay. knows exactly how much change you got in your pocket. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so so he takes it out of his pocket. He holds it in his palm and uh, the guy says, don't look at me. Look at the coin. And the <laughs> it's a penny and it changes from a, the copper color to a silver color. Then it becomes a light blue color and then it becomes blurred. And it, and it almost like it it's going out of focus. Mm-hmm. And then he says it becomes vaporous until it just completely fades away. So, he, he, you know, Herbert Hopkins, he's like, hey, that's a pretty cool trick. Yeah. And. Without missing a beat, the the man in black says, hey, do you know how uh, Barney Hill died? Like, what? (laughs) At the time, Hopkins thought that Barney Hill had died from a heart attack, but that's not true. He actually died from a stroke. But uh, anyway, the the man in black says, uh, no, he died. He died because he didn't have a heart. Just as just as Hopkins no longer has a coin. Perhaps the most convoluted empty threat I've ever heard. <laughs> yeah, right? Like but still just the way the guy that was was saying it, it was intimidating enough to him and he says, You need to destroy your work or you'll suffer the same fate as Barney Hill. At this point, this uh this MIB his speech begins to slow down. He gets to his feet and he's and he's struggling a little bit and he says my energy is running low. Must go now. Goodbye. He rushes out. He he goes one step at a time down the stairs. And Hopkins can see this light that's coming up his driveway. And he assumes that it's a car headlights. But no, what happens is this guy, this MIB walks into the um, into his driveway, into the light, and then it just disappears. And so does the man in black. Of course. Of course. Now, wow, Rob, this one. Ugh. I don't even know where to begin. You know, there's some theories that this was some sort of robotic uh, alien men in black, you know, and then we have other cases where they're pale and they have black eyes. Now, the MIBs, they run a gamut, man, from like straight up government officials to aliens to BEKs. It's it's astounding the amount of accounts that have come in terms of what happens after someone has a UFO event. And a lot of these cases, too, we often think of having happened in the 50s, the 60s, the 70s. Um, But you brought another one to my attention that is pretty recent. 
This is in 2009 uh, in Niagara Falls when a hotel manager and a security guard that worked at the Sheraton Hotel, uh, they supposedly saw a triangular UFO. And almost a year later is when they got visited. So you have to tell me about the case of Shane Silvar. So yeah, Shane Silvar, he's, he's working one night and the security officer is looking out over the falls and he can see this, uh, he can see a light out there and he gets Silvar's attention and he says, there's either, they're either looking for something that has crashed over there or it's a UFO. <laughs> Those are your only two options That's right it. now. Yep, black or white. <laughs> Yeah, so um, at a certain point, uh, they say that, you know, this thing is starting to head in their direction. This It has a light on the front. It's a black triangle shaped. It has a light on the front. It has a red light on the bottom, as they've been yep. described so many times before. And uh, that light is shining in their direction. So that's always good. And <laughs> it passes overhead and it actually stops for a little bit right above them before taking off. And at this time, there's uh, there's kind of a flap going on in the Niagara area. People are seeing black triangles uh, all summer long. And, uh, you know, they they <laughs> once it's done, they go about their business like uh, yeah. nothing else has happened. And, uh, you know, the, that's that. And then you think that's that. But no. There's more. <laughs> there always is. And uh, they, they get a visit a little while later from uh, two men in black. Um, they they come in. They're looking for Sovar and the uh, security, the security guard. Uh, they're not there. They're described as really tall, identical height, in fact. No facial hair. Again, the no eyebrows, no or eyelashes. Uh, hair that looks like like it's attached to their hat because they both had hats on. But the hair, yeah, it looks like it's attached. Okay. Uh, uh, very big blue eyes that they never blinked. Um, extremely pale skin. They had the exact same faces and wore the same outfits. So, uh, yeah, that's 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 startling. Uh, they they went and talked to staff for about 30 minutes and uh, including the it was a travel agent that was there and she felt like they could read her mind and it freaked her out to no end. They stayed for about 30 minutes and then just left, never to be seen again. And then Sovar comes in the next day. And they're in, they're told, hey, these guys came in. They were looking for you. And sure enough, he goes and looks at the surveillance footage uh, and sees two really large men walking in 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 the lobby wearing the exact same clothes and looking pretty similar. Wow. And we have this video that almost as evidence now. Now, I mean, this thing went viral. I remember. I remember when this thing actually hit uh, YouTube at the time, and then the case started to unravel about what actually happened. So pretty freaky, if you ask me. Yeah, and I mean, if you watch that video, there's another man. He's a hotel worker. He comes. He, he looks like he's going out the door that these two men are coming in at the same time and he and he goes to the left and you can tell that these these guys are tall they yeah. are really tall yeah yeah and definitely on a mission <laughs> oh yeah they they've got purpose written all over oh man yeah it's a really interesting i highly suggest people uh just you know what just go to youtube type in real men in black check out the video it's pretty freaky if you ask me now rob i want to i want to sort of move on from the mythology of the Men in Black. We could talk for hours about that, and I'm sure we will at some point um, <laughs> over a glass of whiskey, my friend. Um, oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> but it seems as though these MIBs, um, they've almost morphed into something new within the UFO community instead of threatening people to remain silent or uh, to, 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 to sort of dissuade them from coming public about the UFO sightings. We're seeing many more accounts of disinformation agents, as it were. We have the famous case of Richard Doty and the likes, who has actually been cropping up on social networks recently, uh, which is a little creepy. You gotta wonder why this dude's trying to get back in the UFO game. Could it be the whole Tom DeLong thing? I, I don't know. We will get to that in a little bit. <laughs> uh, so what do you think, man? What do you think of disinformation agents within the government, within the mil military? Does this have anything to do with the MIBs and sort of the tricksterish nature of them 
What are your thoughts? I think this whole disinformation campaign that the government has going on, because it's it's clear that uh, they do their best to try and control the public's perception of what UFOs are or what they could be. And you have Men in Black, and there aren't as many reported cases anymore, and, and God knows how many cases go unreported. Right. Like the, the best ones that we have are, you know, few and far between, but you know, there are enough of them to suggest that they are out there. What I feel like is going on is like they're part of they're they're cogs in a wheel almost because in a way they are almost there to discredit what you have seen, what you have experienced. They're almost like a bipedal humanoid UFO themselves because <laughs> there's always strangeness associated with them. They're uh, they don't act the normal way. They they they're just so weird. And then but they it's them that are controlling your experience at the time. And then you have like the Richard Doty types that come in and they control almost the information that you're being given. Mm -hmm. Now, Richard Doty, especially if you go and read or watch the Mirage Men documentary, he talks about like how essentially you're putting a truth sandwiched between two lies. Supposedly, there is some truth to it, but there's a lot more lies, lies out there. And he talks about how the government basically, you know, through OSI and, and, and other government agencies, how they really shape the mythology of what's going on. So it's clear that this is important. Whatever, whatever they're shaping and how they're shaping our perception is important, that you have this really integrated system with a lot of working parts and there's probably working parts we don't even realize. Mm -hmm. So it's all cogs in a machine. And at certain times, you're just getting different glimpses of the cogs. You're not even getting a, a view of the whole machine. So it's, it's all fascinating in, in how it works together to control public perception. Now, in terms of those cogs in the wheel, we got to move to the hot button issue. This guy has been all <laughs> over the news. I have to know what you think about this. Tom DeLong, where do you land on this entire thing? Is he a man in black? <laughs> he may very well be. You know, Tom DeLong is for the, the, the he's kind of the outsider, but at the same time, he's not because he's inside. Supposedly, according to social media, his parents have like majestic clearance and all that stuff. Like, OK, OK. <laughs> I wish my parents had majestic. <laughs> yeah, like uh, it's it was so weird that he tweets out like what his parents' government level clearance <laughs> is. But Tom DeLong is uh, is this hybrid between uh, what Stephen Greer tried to do has tried to do with the Disclosure Project and that whole uh, press conference that he had back in the early two thousands, and he and he's also like this hybrid of Robert Bigelow. He thinks he can be both, and you can't. My problem is is like. Today, when we throw around the word disclosure, all right, uh, we're getting to the truth. And here we are. We have all of these retired government officials, people that have worked in the government, and they're going to bring us disclosure. When in reality, disclosure comes from the government. It doesn't come from Tom DeLong claiming that he wants to bring people disclosure, and yet he wants to build, for lack of a better term, because I don't want to get into how ridiculous uh, the titles that he calls these things. <laughs> he wants to build UFOs. Yeah. With this supposedly, you know, tech with this technology that has supposedly, you know, been declassified or whatever. I don't know the whole story, but like it's ludicrous. Like, this is not the way you bring about disclosure. And at the same time, I, Tom DeLong is not the most trustworthy person that I would I would go to. He, he's nobody I trust. OK, I was on a podcast recently and we we threw around names for who should be the disclosure spokesperson. What person would you believe uh, if they to, if they, you know, got this press conference going and presented all of this body of evidence to you. It's not Tom DeLong. I said Tom Hanks. I think that'd be perfect. But, oh, my um, God. <laughs> what a wonderful, wonderful person. I, I would definitely get him up there, man. I would believe anything that man said. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I would, too. Uh, with Tom, when you talk about things like disclosure, they don't come with an initial public offering of your company. Like, yeah. they don't come with 
this idea that like you can start a company and or an academy in this case and you can you can get in on what they're doing if you can throw $200 their way minimum yeah minimum and they'll let you in on the secret well that's not disclosure <laughs> that's not disclosure in the slightest bit yeah to me the fundamental thing about disclosure is it has to come from the government and if it's coming from Tom DeLong and he's got all these guys that have retired from government that to me is not the government that's guys who've retired from the government that's that that's a good point you know i i often look at the citizen hearing as well as another prime example of that yeah it was great that the ufo community military everyone was bringing this information to ex-congressional members, uh, but it was a mock hearing. This this was not this was not going to get to the higher-ups in actual government officialdom. So I I would have to agree with you that while it's fascinating the history and the resumes of these people DeLong is working with, they are no longer indebted to the government. Yes, I'm sure they have oaths that they have to keep for certain things uh, in terms of national security, but they are no longer indebted and uh, it, it's 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 interesting. I, I look forward to where this may be going. I see it crashing and burning in terms of <laughs> the actual UFO they build crashing and burning, but also this entire thing. Why is he posting hoaxed UFO photos on his social media? You have to wonder, is this the new Richard Doty in uh, Sheep's Clothing? Yeah, and like the, the thing is, too, is like when you talk about wanting to blow the doors over on uh, open on something you talk about whistleblowers okay you, you you got these people inside that can you know blow the lid off of everything well that doesn't work for the ufo phenomenon it never has it didn't work for bob lazar it did not work for phil schneider whether you, you it, which uh, those guys are not believable at all because you know bob lazar's credentials have never been you know established neither has phil schneider's and i mean phil schneider is pretty much connected to almost every conspiracy theory there is out there um, interesting i i i'm gonna have to have you on with jeremy corbell my friend to hash out this bob lazar thing <laughs> <laughs> He's an interesting he's an interesting character, but it didn't help that uh, he he got arrested uh, a year after coming out with all that stuff. But like these people are not they're not helping. So like the whistleblower phenomena does not apply here. And 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 it's kind of sad because in, in most other things, you take this to the press, it blows the doors wide open like uh, it did with Enron and all these other types of, uh, you know, bad stuff going on in the world. But this is a unique thing where unless it comes directly from the government and the government becomes more transparent, it, it's not going to be believable. And um, as uh, as your publisher, Richard Dolan, has alluded to uh, uh, again and again and again, our government has become less and less and less transparent over time. And and that's it. it and then it just becomes a pipe dream. So, yeah, yeah. it's uh, it's sobering in some ways. I mean, this clearly shows that even up until today that. We are not going to get that disclosure that everyone dreams of. I, I don't see it happening within my lifetime. Uh, it is either going to come officially forced, I believe, by whatever whatever intelligence may be out there coming here and forcing their hand and saying, we're here. Or it's going to come person by person and their personal UFO sightings, their personal encounters, and that'll be their personal disclosure, in my opinion. What do you think? Yeah, uh, I, I think one day down the line... You know, if if we can, because it, it really makes you wonder if, you know, with these UFOs, we're seeing them. I've seen them. You've seen one. Um, we're all seeing them. They clearly mean something. They're clearly here for a reason, whether they're designed by the government or not. I don't believe that all of them are. I believe that a good portion of them are. But at a certain point, <laughs> whoever's flying those needs to come down, get out. They got to come talk to us. And I think I think maybe someday they will. Um, but uh, in, unless unless uh, uh, the government strictly comes out and says, so, yeah, it's it's it, it's going to be a long time. Mm -hmm. And that does it, it, it's kind of depressing. But at the same time, we are clearly important enough that these things keep appearing to us and we can't overlook that fact. 
whatever they are. I think there's that hope. You, you have to hold on to that hope that eventually someday in the future we, we'll, we'll get to the bottom of it. That is a very optimistic view, and I'd have to agree with you, man. I, I'm definitely with you on that one. Well, in terms of personal research, you are going to be coming out with a podcast soon, and I want to hear about this, man. What 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 do you got going on? What can we expect? What is it called? Give me all the details on your podcast. So I... UFOs have been uh, something that has fascinated my mind since I was a kid and I was being terrorized by Robert Stack on Unsolved Mysteries. That man (laughs) scares me to this day. (laughs) Yeah, that music alone. (laughs) But the UFO thing, it's been it's been there the whole time. And and, and I've been I've been involved in other podcasts, nothing paranormal, but uh, they eventually fell through and I decided like man I really want to make I really want to do something here so uh, over the course of the last six months I've been putting together this idea of a podcast that is slowly materialized uh, into what is going to be known as the our strange skies podcast because we do have some really strange stuff in our skies in the states oh yeah <laughs> so uh, I'm gonna be looking at it, it, the UFO events and myths that kind of make up our identity as a country because there are a lot of these sightings and stuff that make up like a a state's identity or a town's identity to to the point where like uh, every year in Kecksburg they they celebrate the Kecksburg crash and Roswell has its own thing Mm -hmm. and uh, Mothman Festival and like that has always fascinated me to no end so I'm going to be talking about some of the UFO events that people know a lot about and some that people may not know so much about and uh, just going to dive into this really strange place that is the States. I've always been kind of insulted by Neil Gaiman's uh, American Gods because there's a <laughs> quote at the beginning of it saying that uh, the gods were too scared to cross the ocean. I'm like, dude, we got our own gods over here, man. I don't know what you're thinking. You just only need to look up in the skies. You'll see them. No problem. Exactly, man. Just get get your eyes off the phone and put them in the sky. That's I, I keep preaching that to the people, the younger people getting involved with this topic who have an interest, but they're too busy looking down instead of looking up. Well, that's that's fascinating, man. That sociological aspect of all this has always intrigued me most. So I really look forward to hearing these historical events, the folklore behind it all, and how it does shape us. Look at other countries and how they deal with UFOs. It's much different than how we deal with it here in America. So I am sure that is something you're going to tackle for sure. Where, if any of our listeners do want to reach out to you, do you have anywhere that they can find you right now where you're willing to uh, let us know about? Yeah, I've got, uh, I've already got uh, some social media up for the podcast. Uh, I've got a Twitter page at Our Strange Skies, and there's a Facebook page right now, facebook.com slash Our Strange Skies. You can reach uh, reach me there. I am also on Twitter at Your UFO Guy, uh, Y-E-R UFO Guy. So uh, reach out to me. I'm, I'm always willing to talk about this stuff. It's so it's so much fun to dive into this stuff and just really, you know, look at it and and try to figure it all out. So reach out to me. That's awesome, man. I I love when people are willing to listen and to hear out other people's thoughts and opinions. And that's exactly what we did today. You know, you started listening to my show and I realized how knowledgeable you were. I said, I have to get him on. He's got to be one of my (laughs) guests. And it's clear. It's clear that you do your research. And I couldn't think of a better person to cover the men in black with me today. So I got to thank you for coming on Somewhere in the Skies, and I'm wishing you all the best with your upcoming endeavor. Dude, thank you so much. This has been a blast. I've been excited to do this since since you asked me to come on, so uh, thank you. Of course, pleasure was all mine. All right, that is it for this week's episode. Please be sure to check out Rob's work soon. I'll keep you all posted on when the Our Strange Skies podcast premieres. The show is on Twitter, at Somewhere Skies, Instagram, at Somewhere Skies Pod, And all past episodes and articles can be found on the website, somewhereintheskies.com. Also, I've released a brand new design for merch over at the Somewhere in the Skies store. Star Wars fans will be very pleased. Be sure to check out the store and help represent the show in style. Visit tpublic.com and search for Somewhere in the Skies. That's T-E-E public.com. And if you don't hear from Rob or I next week, it's very likely the MIBs got to us. In that event, it's been a hell of a ride, and remember, keep your feet on the ground. 
but never stop searching somewhere in the skies. Somewhere in the Skies is produced by Third Kind Productions in association with Antica Productions and the Antica Podcast Network. To learn more, visit anticaproductions.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowl and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowl and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, this is Paige from Giggly Squad, and I want to talk to you about Splash Refresher and my water intake. Okay, so you guys obviously know that I'm a hydrated girly, but sometimes when you drink that much water, it starts to just taste bland, and you're just like, I need something to spice it up. That's why I love Splash Refresher. It has zero sugar, zero calories, and it's a splash of sweetness. And they come in five different flavors. They're so good. Wild berry, acai grape, pineapple mango, lemon, and mandarin orange. My favorite is the wild berry because I just I just love a berry. So if you're like me and you're drinking water all day, then try Splash Refresher. It's going to absolutely change your water game and it's good for you. 